Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson. Happy to be back. And happy to be back with Jason Daphnis. What's up, Jason? I'm happy to be back here with you, Matt. I'm currently looking down at a wristband I got last night at First Ave and just wondering at the, I guess, marveling at the beautiful spiritual pull of live music. Right. Where, what did you go to last night? I saw Black Midi at First Ave. Oh, Holy yes. The young, young gosh. British uh, rock scientists it was black nuts. oh my goodness such good like just consummate musicians I don't, that's not what we're here to talk about but yes yeah, check them no. out if you don't already i yeah there's a bunch of those like what's that black country new road and shit yeah yeah, a, yeah it's I, the that's vocals diff- aren't i don't love the vocals but yeah different like, different flavors but uh black yeah, is way yeah. more like prog and jazz fusion yeah, and yeah, rock yeah. and stuff it's it's nuts it's nice. unlike anything i've heard in a long time Nice. Well, speaking of progressive and impressive musicianship, we are, uh, we're doing a special edition. Uh, we don't have a guest this time, but I thought we would take this, uh, opportunity to sort of, uh, kind of pay homage to the passing of, I would say, a true giant of American music. I think one of the giants of the 20th century in jazz, especially Pharaoh Sanders, uh, recently passed away, I believe, at the age of 81. Um, he had a very long, very distinguished career. Um, and we're going to try to kind of put his career through the lens of a few songs. Uh, I guess I should say from the outset, that's a very impossible thing to do in, in yeah, some respects. It's a he, little he bit recorded, of a fool's errand, right? Yeah. I mean, he recorded so much music. Um, I tried to kind of space things out and hit some of the, the major stuff. Um, but again, he recorded for, you know, starting in the mid sixties and mm-hmm. literally the last thing we're going to listen to impressively is from an album that came out last year uh, promises which was done with floating points the electronic producer and uh, the london symphony orchestra and uh yeah that was actually one of the most critically acclaimed albums of last year which i think you know is really a testament to a his longevity and and his his kind of restless creativity and mm-hmm. always looking for new sounds and i think if, if anything i would i would say that a sort of uh you know, openness and spirituality, I think is sort of at the the core of Pharaoh's music. Um, he was sort of associated with a few different jazz movements, uh, notably free jazz, which we're going to, we're going to start off here in a second. Um, he was very associated with that, starting with his playing on John Coltrane's Ascension album and uh, free jazz, you know, at the time kind of sought to, I guess basically break down musical barriers in terms of tonality, in terms of sticking to like set chord changes, set tempos, set meters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was sort of influenced by modal jazz, which had happened a little bit before where, you know, guys like Miles Davis and George Russell, uh, people of that nature kind of switched from a sort of a, it's really hard to explain. Cause yeah. also I'm just going to say like jazz, you know, I feel like I know a decent amount about jazz, but if you don't really understand theory in a deep way, I think there's sort of a level you can't necessarily parse. Mm-hmm. Um, modal jazz is basically like, if you think about jazz, sort of the fast, like, dun, 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 you know, where it's like a fast series of chord changes mm-hmm. and the soloist kind of, you know, solo over those changes. Modal jazz, it was much more static where there was less chord changes, but they were using modal scales over oh. these changes. And so sometimes they were using like, uh, two tonal roots at the same time and things like that. And I'm kind of probably butchering this, but like if you listen, listen to like kind of blew my mouse Davis, that's a pioneering modal jazz record where 
like the the backing track is much more static as opposed to like things he'd been doing you know, even ten years before, five years before. Uh, and then you know Coltrane came through Miles, uh, and then you know free jazz kind of came out of Ornette Coleman, um, a bunch of other people, you know Albert Eiler, uh, Pharaoh himself. Uh, who else? I mean, Charles Gale, tons of people. Um, it can be pretty wild and sometimes off-putting to people. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of grown to love it over the years. I'll, I'll be curious once we start uh, Ascension Edition 1 Part 2. This is off uh, Coltrane's famous uh, and at times maybe at the time infamous album Ascension 65. Uh, this is really like a who's who of a lot of players. Freddie Hubbard, Marion Brown, Coltrane, Pharaoh Sanders, Archie Shep, McCoy Tyner. Jimmy Garrison, Elvin Jones, among others, are on this album. And uh, as you'll be able to tell, it's, it's it's definitely a more free type of playing. They're not necessarily bound by melody or definitely not chord changes, definitely not, you know, a steady rhythm of any sort. Um, mm-hmm. The rhythm's kind of – and there are parts in the in the piece. It's a very long piece. Um, there are parts that are a little more traditional after the sort of cacophony fades. They'll go into quieter parts that are a little bit more like bop jazz or hard bop jazz. Um, but anyway, I, I – Let's play a little bit of it, and then I'm curious about your uh, your reactions to this, Jason. Yeah, uh, here is Ascension Edition One Part Two from John Coltrane. So this isn't like super extreme. No. But Coltrane is definitely, I think they call it like extended technique or like overblowing where they would get these kind of harsher, like squawkier kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think there's even something people, some people were able to do where they could get like two notes at one time on a sax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So I guess Jason, what's your what was your reaction to this initially? Yeah, background here, not I like I did not grow up listening to jazz, even when it was my own prerogative. I did not like seek out uh, jazz or like know how to talk about or parse it or like listen to it or appreciate it. So I'm still not the best. I'm hoping that you can sort of guide me through some of it. But like, I tend to benefit from stepping back from the piece from the moment to moment because you like measure to measure it very quickly like clearly devolves into like a form of only mildly controlled chaos um you know it doesn't feel like there's a clear melody to follow there's you know rhythm in only the bass and drums uh there's the structure can be difficult in in pieces like this but like when seen as like one big landscape of a piece that's where it can start to put together the pieces of like okay so it swells here it builds it deconstructs it walks back you know it's not just the same thing for the entire song even though it takes it is a what is it? 19 and three quarters minute long piece. Yeah. You know, that takes up, it must take up one whole side of a, of a record, right? Yeah. I think Ascension is basically it was a double album and mm-hmm. there are four long pieces. Um, does that, does that drive with how you parse this? Uh, the, you know, yeah, Ascension I mean, is, I is like that, as a bigger um, piece than like as a moment to moment. Listen, I mean, I think it's enjoyable moment to moment, but I guess I sort of had to learn, you know, a friend of mine, Chris, uh, who I did the Renegade Priest thing with. He had played oh, yeah. me a lot of the stuff in college, like this oh, okay. or like Albert Eiler, Ghosts, or like Charles Gale, Peter Brotzman, and all you know, some of these some that is even much more 
maybe abrasive than this. Um, and I guess I kind of, you almost have to like learn to listen to it in certain respects, I think, mm-hmm. you know? And I think you're kind of right that, not necessarily pulling back, but um, how would I put it? It's like, I think you almost have this instinct to like fight it in a certain sense yeah, mentally, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And you kind of have to just sort of like, here we go. No, I think Pharaoh and a bunch of the other guys have come in now. And Pharaoh is still on sax in this track? Yeah, he's on tenor. They have three tenors, an alto, a trumpet, two trumpets. So it's kind of this like huge ensemble. Yeah, that's a big sound. Um, and I'm not sure if everyone plays on every track, though. It's kind of hard to say. Sure. But you know, here's kind of the cacophony kind of part, but... I don't know. In a weird way, I start to find it, like, not calming, but I don't find it, like, agitating anymore. Hmm. The more I get used to it. And it, it, I think you're right. The kind of the key to it is sort of a, like a, a flow where, like, this, like, now if we kind of go out, like, let's go to 430 now. Okay. Jumping ahead about one minute from 330 to 430. Jeez, even the scrubber is very hard to control on Spotify <laughs> in the long, a song this long. Yeah, drop it yeah. at four twenty-five in the same song. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah. Now we have like bowed bass, and it's kind oh, of wow, yeah, way different texture than it started with. Yeah, yeah, and I think texturally, you have to think of it sort of texturally rather than like melodically in in mm-hmm. some in some respects, and um. And even though it sounds atonal at times, I don't think it is as much as people think it does, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's, like, threads of, like, scale scales and theory that are sort of being, like, stretched, um, but not necessarily broken entirely. Mm-hmm. And there is free jazz, and I think it's just, like, a thousand miles an hour, like, six dudes just going strictly atonal stuff, a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Ascension is necessarily like that. Um and I guess one thing that always was kind of interesting to me about, you know, these type of guys compared to, like, say, really, you know, noise artists or, like, noise rock bands is, like, these guys ended up here, but literally everybody in this band could sit in with, like, a dinner theater, like, cocktail jazz band. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they know all the standards. They can play, like in Duke Ellington's band or you know what mm-hmm. I mean so it's kind of an interesting thing it's like these guys kind of I think as opposed to rock musicians who kind of just like jump in and just be weird right away yeah like these guys kind of evolved over a period of years through these different evolutions of jazz and kind of ended up here and right. you know and as we hear with like with uh, Pharaoh like he kind of goes back as well to d- definitely much tamer stuff and, and more melodic stuff later um, yeah but um So, according to Wikipedia for this record for Ascension, we have, uh, at present, it's an ensemble section, um, but then it does list out where Sanders' solo actually does appear. Do we want to jump to that? Yeah, let's hear that. Sure, that's at about 11.55, it says. I'm going to pop there and see if we can't glean anything from Mr. Sanders. And here the piano is almost like a trad bop kind of song right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he on? Hmm. 
Maybe the timestamps are wrong. It's beautiful anyway, but mm-hmm. I'm not hearing his tenor in there. No, I'm not either. So this is probably McCoy Tyner, who has yeah, some be. great solo works. A lot of these guys have great solo works as well. The McCoy Tyner trio is really great, much more traditional jazz. Mm-hmm. Can't believe Wikipedia would have lied to me, but I guess I don't. <laughs> I guess that's the whole point of whole point of jazz is like we're allowing the individuals to take like maybe maybe we're starting to hear him here, but we're allowing the individuals to take lead. To yeah. carry a song forward that everybody is like that everybody owns, you know, it's like this group of eight or ten people. Yeah, and of course, like super jazz scholars would like be able to tell right away just by the playing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think like Coltrane has some, some things I can pick out sometimes, or like Miles certainly has a trumpet sound, but you know, like a lot of these guys can pick out any tenor saxophonist like after like a few notes or whatever. Mm. Oh, gee, I was looking at the wrong edition. I do want to jump to, it was, they've gotten laid out weird on Wikipedia. Um, sorry, listener. Uh, you just had to listen to a little more jazz. Uh, I think one of the last things we should do in this track probably is go to Sanders solo. And it's just a few seconds before actually where we started. Um, yeah. At 11.15 is what it said. So let's pop back there. God, I hope it's not lying to me again. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> this is how little I understand jazz. Is I don't even know how to follow instructions. Um, uh, it, are you sure you're, are you listening to like edition one, part two, or you know what I mean? It could, it could be, man. Jazz, not my bag. I think it's because it defeats me. I think it's like you said because you end up fighting it at a certain point and then sort of giving up because you realize it's. Right, not gonna change. Right, you sort of like meet it on meet it on its own terms, and that's the real time experience you're having with me, listener, is fighting against the technology and form here. But um, there's one last part that's kind of intense. It's at like 17, 17 minutes. It's these overlapping horns that are pretty wild. Um, here we go. I've also I also have this theory that that um, it's not what people find off-putting about things, and this is a good example of that. Is people think it's maybe that kind of the kind of cacophonous, like bordering on atonality part of it, mm-hmm. even though it's, I don't. This isn't atonal. Uh, I think that people can accept a lot of really noisy things, hmm. um, really like abrasive things, and you know you see this in all types of you know, band like. Slayer is really abrasive or Mets or whatever. But if it, if it has a steady like 4-4 rhythm, mm-hmm. I think that free jazz also has like a rhythmic inconsistency and kind of variation that I think people find tough to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't find the, like, the downbeat in this. Right. You can't find the center of it. You can't find your, your comfort zone. And I think that might be more disconcerting to people than even the like the melodic or non-melodic or or you know mm-hmm. kind of noisy mm-hmm. aspect mm-hmm. of it like if this 
part had a steady like kind of you know kind of beat I, I don't know if it would be as as kind of like bracing um yeah and i wonder if that's where artists like kamazi washington came out of was like the like core a lot of his music is clearly like uh like modern r&b and hip-hop influence and like that provides a really solid base for you to return to you know like something to follow while there's a lot of experimentation and spiritual jazz free form going on on top you can still return to this basic thing you can find the beat you know yeah i mean kamasi i I, who i i've seen live and i I love uh i mean he's well, hell, if you want to, if we want to talk about where Kamasi came from, we could move on to our next piece. Um, sure. Uh, so, but, intro um, it for me. Yeah, this is the creator has a master plan. I think this is kind of, if you've heard of one Pharaoh Sanders song, this is probably it. Uh, this was, this is where he's kind of, yeah, is a, like, the uh, spiritual jazz movement, which is sort of a little bit harder to um, define. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual jazz, like, there's definitely a certain type of hats that they like. <laughs> Do you I mean literal say. hats wearing on their heads? Yes, yes. <laughs> literally spiritual jazz hats. That's okay. a thing for sure. Because <laughs> I was Kamasi sure Washington definitely had, like wears the kind of like you know African robe kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. popular. Um, I mean, Kamasi's great, but he definitely he's he's positioned himself in sort of a successor to spiritual jazz, and I think mm-hmm. that, I think you can hear parts of him for sure. This. But you're right. I mean, he grew up. You know, he's. I think he's around 40 or something so he definitely grew up in the you know post hip-hop era and r&b mm-hmm. and stuff like that so he has some different influence as well um this stuff i think people will find much more approachable um yes. yeah this this definitely is is also very much i think an extension of what coltrane did on a love supreme you can hear that right right away the bass part kind of semi quotes so a love supreme a hmm. uh, couple other people on this that are important to note Lonnie Liston Smith uh is on this uh he he wrote this song actually uh and he he had a very good uh, career on his own later um and then Leon Thomas the vocalist which i think is kind of interesting and this is something that uh, Kamasi does too is sort of like the inclusion of vocals and stuff that normally would be sort of instrumental but it's not like there's vocals, but it's not like a song. There's not like a verse and a chorus and a bridge, right? Like vocals mm-hmm. are kind of part of the ensemble, I think. Um, so before we start, like this one, I imagine I did, this is one of those songs I can't imagine somebody not liking, just because I, I find it so great. But mm-hmm. um, it is a is a really strong piece. Uh, yeah. Originally, we had this as our starting for the podcast, and you you decided some Coltrane would be good uh, base to build from and I, yeah i, agree. I mean that, I agree. that band was such a important band so for sure uh, for but sure th- this one i think is when he kind of you know he had a couple albums before this um that i think were are very well regarded as well but this one i think is sort of his iconic piece if there is one yeah all right here's the creator has a master plan
So, I mean, it's still, you know, he's still pushing kind of a hard technique and things, but... Right, but there's still, think, like, you can sort of anticipate the movement of, like, the change of a chord, and there's the swell of the percussion. There's something more akin to, like, I don't know, like a funk thing going on here, like a break in a funk song, rather than total freeform, uh, just keep on the one type stuff, you know? Yeah, and I think that Pharaoh's on his own, had a more... Well, not that, that, you know, the mood that Coltrane kind of did and abandoned later, you know, with the Love Supreme, I think Pharaoh kind of took that as his, like, uh, milieu or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so it's sort of a meditative kind of quality, I think, to Pharaoh's stuff that I really like. That um, even if it's sort of, it can get dissonant, it can get sort of cacophonous, but I feel like there's sort of a meditative quality to it and sort of... Again, I think this is why people start throwing out the terms like spiritual jazz. It's sort of more descriptive of a feeling rather than like a musical thing. Like where free mm-hmm. jazz is definitely describing the musical approach, right? For it's sure, for sure. The freedom from constraint. Um, I think spiritual jazz is more, and we'll hear this later with uh, another another Coltrane, Alice Coltrane, um, who was also very instrumental in that movement. Mm-hmm. But so here, like. Those are different notes, but that's like the Love Supreme bass part, that do 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 Yeah. Definitely iterates upon it, though, as, as it goes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is, I don't know, this puts you in a certain type of headspace, I think, that's yeah. really... It's, the. this is where I gravitated more toward in these assignments, was like, toward the, and it's, you know, baby brain, because I didn't listen to jazz in college or, or before, but it's, I, I recognize these two chords, we're like, bobbing between these two different chords, we've got this ostinato line that's going blah, blah, with the with the flutes up in the, yeah, James, up in the top. Uh, James Spaulding. It's uh, fucking beautiful. It's, you know, it's really naturalistic sounding shit. And, like, with that in my mind, with that, like, in my left brain, so to speak, I can start to think about what the sax is doing and, like, how it's commenting on the chord changes and how it's, like, playing off mm-hmm. of those tones and stuff. I feel like, I feel like you're right that I'm, you, you know, starting out anyway... Like, you can't go deep end on jazz, even if, like, I don't know, jazz elitists would probably say, oh, that Coltrane track, that's not deep end. Like, you ain't seen nothing yet kind of thing. Oh, no, you know, jazz, a lot, free jazz was the, like, there were wars about free jazz. A a lot of hardcore jazz guys would say that wasn't jazz at all. That was, like, this horrible, you know, corruption of jazz or something, too. So, Mm -hmm. there is, like, jazz beef is deep. It's deeper than rap beef. (laughs) <laughs> it was done through like papers and like guys that have fellowships at like Yale. Jazz snitch knishes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sick. Don't be a jazz snitch. <laughs> um, 
Um, there's but, uh, one. There's one point in this track. Uh, of course, it goes a lot of places, but it, like the shit that he does. And it, is it Pharaoh um, on vocals in this track too? No, the vocals is getting Leon Thomas. That's about okay. seven thirty where the vocals come in. We should because yeah. that's kind of a, a very let's you know, let's strike there part of the song. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy named Leon Thomas. Seven thirty-ish. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it's like, it's like tantra, it's like mantra shit, you know, like, oh no, it's totally, compl- it's, it's beautiful. Like I'm not an incredibly spiritual person, you know, I don't feel really like connected to a higher power or whatever, but when I listen to this kind of music, God, it does, yeah. it, it like, like you have no choice but to be moved kind of over the course of this 20, sorry, 32 minute song, it just like repeats and builds and it sort of understands where it's been and understands where you've been and hits with the right me- like the thing that I wanted to highlight later in this vocal section is when he starts singing like almost that yodeling style without opening his mouth I think just kind of yes, like yeah. a, a real, a, like, a, like a like a yodeling hum and it's like that is that's like primal that's not even words you know and it's still like beautiful I don't know yeah no uh, Leon Thomas too brings up like a little he was an influence on I think somewhat of a mentor too and uh, this guy actually appears on some later um, Pharaoh Sanders stuff but uh, Bobby McFerrin the don't worry be happy guy Mm -hmm. like he he was sort of associated with some of this stuff when he was a young man yeah this stuff is great yeah and there's you know they're, they're pulling ties from like African music and you know, Eastern spirituality and Hinduism and Buddhism were huge influences on these um, albums. You can tell. Yeah, definitely. Whew, that... I had to take that timestamp down because that part... I don't know what it is. Yeah. It just, like, th- unlocks something in your brain. And another thing I wanted to kind of bring up that, you know, when I started getting more into jazz, it kind of... It's interesting, like, the, the, the sort of narrative of music that you sort of inherit about the late 20th century, the last half. You know, it's very centered around sort of a, you know, Rolling Stone magazine kind of history of rock kind of thing, right? And it, it's funny to me now in retrospect to hear, like, you know, like so much hand-wringing about how in, in crazy, like, the Beatles or, like, Sgt. Pepper was or, like, even, like, Hendrix or Pink Floyd or Zappa and... You know, the stuff like Ascension we just heard, that was 1965. Jesus. And Ornette Coleman had done stuff, you know, five years before that. You know, and it's kind of like mm-hmm. the degree to which a lot of rock bands, like whether it was Dylan or, you know, Pink Floyd or Grateful Dead, it's like we're given all this credit for being so adventurous and stuff. It's like it was still kind of just like four chord rock music at the end of yeah. the day. You know what I mean? And like yeah, yeah. this stuff like is literally pushing like not only theory forms like to their break or the whole idea of structure you know it's kind Mm -hmm. of amazing like 
how far ahead these guys were, you know? Yeah. And it's not pointless, you know? Like, this this is, I think this is, if this is my entry point to jazz, I think it's a really good entry point because it makes it feel like there's there's something really, uh, like, there's an undercurrent there that you can tap into through, oh, like, sure. pieces that go over top. And I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Maybe, yeah. my, you know, Journey with Jazz grows from here. But are there... Are there other parts of this track you wanted to highlight specifically? Because we do um, have a good bit of it. Yeah, I mean, here's, you know, you can hear a little bit more dissonance. But, you know, again, like, to your point, I think the, the dissonance seems more of like a growing of an intensity and, and mm-hmm. is not is necessarily abrasive in some way, even though it like the tonal thing is kind of abrasive. Right. Um, yeah, I just, I know, fair I sort of associate with sort of a sense of calm, you know, in general. Yeah you know of sort of an inner calm and i'm not sure if that's true or not but he seemed he seems very like yeah. in all of the ways that he was out in the world he seemed very centered and grounded and sort of knew what he was about kind of thing you know yeah so yeah i mean we can't play all 30 minutes of all these songs for sure, so for sure. let's go to um <laughs> this next one is a shorter one this is uh, a very accessible song i think this has a little bit closer to you know some r&b some of the soul jazz stuff that you know um, happened as well in the in the late sixties, early seventies, uh, where there was a little bit more, you know. Again, Kamasi, I think, could be seen as an heir to some of this stuff as well. This is a- Astral Traveling off of Thembi, the album from nineteen seventy one. Um, okay. Again, Lonnie Linton Smith is on this on Fender Rhodes electric piano, that kind of iconic electric piano sound. Mm-hmm. Okay, here is Astral Traveling. <laughs> And this is definitely more groove-based, I would say, you know, in terms of... An almost R&B kind of foundation. Yeah, like it's still... It's currently like 4-4 rhythm blues, that funky bass line. The jazziness on top of it is the, you know, the noises and improvisations and... And that, you know... Yeah, just beautiful playing right here. Really is. I guess in in knowing that spiritual jazz is a is a is a, is a genre and a, like a, a separate thing from you know core jazz or whatever the terms might be, free and various levels of structure to it. I would have assumed that spiritual jazz would have been like the more out there version, but it seems to be only thematically so. I guess, like, yeah, more poking I, yeah. at questions of existence and stuff through the music, through the libretto, etc., rather than, like, we're going to eschew all form and make it seem like, you know, the, the will of the cosmos is in, is influencing our music. Like, it doesn't seem like that is... That's yeah, the way that I mean, manifests. I guess you probably could go back to, like, Sun Ra and the Sun Ra Orchestra. Yeah, I read um, a, little bit of, um, a little bit about that in uh, yeah. Ferris' career. Spiritual jazz is, is a little bit like a term like goth, where it doesn't necessarily describe music very accurately so much as like sort of a general vibe you know what i mean like you kind of know it when you hear it and and there's certain artists like obviously you know pharaoh and alice coltrane who we're gonna be hearing on the next one um and then some of you know these other people that worked with him but Mm -hmm. i think they're i think maybe an embrace of like eastern philosophy and some tonalities is another part of it and like indian music 
which we'll hear again coming up. But I want, I like, this is from 71, and I actually pulled out today uh, a record we did uh, a few episodes ago, not that long ago, uh, the uh, Uyami Hiroto. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, Bijan like, Steven brought that to us. Yeah, yes, Bijan, that was a great pick. But I was listening to it, and it was like, you know, he certainly, you can tell he's come from an electronic producer aspect, and there's elements of, like, you know, electronics and hip-hop and stuff, but... I was listening to some of that stuff and like a lot of the general vibe of that was very like recalled this, you know, mm. and that was a guy that was, you know, that almost from like 2017, it was considered like progressive, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of amazing. Even, you know, certain things like certain aspects of like outcast I could hear, you know, I think that he had a pretty wide, uh, and this sound in particular with that heavy, like, you know, electric piano kind of sound, which is sort mm-hmm. of a very classic tone. It's very Persona 5, you know? Yes. I don't know if you've played it, but it's okay. it, that that tone, uh, I don't know. It's, I think that was his great, he considered that yes, his greatest accomplishment. Yes, yes. Uh, Persona Sanders 5, on his yeah. deathbed said, this is, this is the one, this is the real, this is the new This the new is the blood. real shit, Persona 5. Or uh, Shabaka Hutchings, I think, you know, has mm-hmm. done some stuff in this zone uh, with the ancestors. Uh, I think you've mentioned them on the show before. He's great. Did we cover? He's great. I think maybe we covered one of those on our Bandcamp episode. Maybe I think we did. Yeah. 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 He's another great artist. I think that you know, again, he's not exactly like this, and he uses he's a lot of different styles and things. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's some root similarities there. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's kind of a groove. We should move on because, you know, like a lot of these are sort of more, they're all kind of grooves really. But Mm -hmm. um, this next one uh, is a, another very important album uh, by a very important Coltrane, Alice Coltrane. Uh, She was the wife of the late John Coltrane, you know, the jazz legend uh, that we heard on the first track. Um, She's, I think, definitely become more and more appreciated in the last like couple of decades. Um, She did, and you'll hear it, some amazing stuff. This is called, no oh, man, Journey, Journey Sachi Dananda, Sachi Dananda, and this is named after a Swami Hindu guru that she studied under. Um, there's a, another uh, <clears throat> kind of important guy, uh, a really great drummer named Rashid Ali, plays on this. Uh, Cecil McBee is a great bass player. Mm-hmm. You'll hear on this. Um, this features an instrument called. Which I always assume this is sitar, but I guess it's not. There's an instrument called a tanpura. Tanpura. Which I basically got the sense it's sort of the sitar with just the drone part and not the melodic part. Hmm. So there's sort of – you'll hear this sort of underlying Indian kind of classical music kind of drone that okay. has that – I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. But like if you hear that Indian kind of sitar drone, it's just a very distinctive sound. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Underneath, Alice plays harp on this. Um She's an amazing harpist. It is. It is crazy and, to listen uh, to. Like, yeah. So this this is a. Uh, I think this album is considered definitely a, a landmark of the spiritual jazz movement. And as you can hear with this, some of those kind of Eastern spirituality elements are even brought farther to the forefront. And she actively like studied uh, under a Hindi guru and things like that. So um, I think this is another beautiful uh, song. Alice Coltrane has a whole body of work that's uh, you know very rewarding i think if you want to check further into her as well Mm -hmm.
So there you hear that. Um, what's the instrument called? Tempura, that kind Tempura, of. Yeah. And I just love the contrast in this song of, well, song in this piece, of that droning constant with the two essential like chords that are being played by the bass with that seems like it never stops going up, never stops moving harp, you know? Yeah. Just yeah. complete waterfall. I mean that this bass part is so yeah sick. I it fucking is. love that riff. It's just such a great riff. Yeah, everything's just really balanced so well on this. Like mm-hmm. um like and and her uh a little later on there's a harp solo that's just staggering on this. Um but again, yeah, it's sort of like there's always a great juxtaposition, I think, in like this type of jazz with like static and moving elements. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the the bass is a static element, the drone is a static element, the harp is a very, you know, unstable element, and the right, sax is an unstable dynamic. element. It's kind of the way that they balance those two things. I think is sort of part of the root of what what's cool about it. Yeah. And again, it's that left brain, right brain thing I was talking about where I can follow the bass, I can follow the drums, I can follow the mm-hmm. follow the tempura, or tempura? I'm confusing it with the uh, Japanese fried... Uh, yeah, and it's shrimp. not like shrimp. It's not the shrimp. <laughs> it's, uh, not the, it's not the shrimp combo. With the, the, uh. the instrument playing, that's that's not the sitar here. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I can follow that, and I can that helps me focus more. When there are like fewer moving parts, you know, oh it's like yeah, trying to watch two dots Ascension popping is, across the screen at the same time. Ascension exactly. is all moving parts, yeah, all the exactly. Time. Yeah, exactly. No, that makes sense. And again, here, you know, some of the the hints towards or nods towards Eastern, you know, tonalities and Eastern spiritualism are like made extremely explicit, you know, yes. and, and that it's it's really trying to create a stream of music between. The strains of like African jazz, mm-hmm. American jazz, you know, African music, American jazz, and like uh, Indian music. Yeah, yeah. And the way, and you know, he's a great soloist too. He's, he, you know, he tends, he, he's able to just find like these great melodic motifs within this mm-hmm. kind of, you know, static background and explore like the space in between these scales and stuff. What a good way to put it. Damn. Um, and again, and it sounds easy, like what Cecil McBee is doing, but like it's such good bass playing. Yeah, it's like, so tight. It's not like incredibly complex or like yeah. rhythmically off set or whatever. It's just consistent, you know. Just yeah. the 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 attack is so perfect every time. Right. And here, Alice Coltrane is just an incredible musician. Damn, just, it sounds like MIDI. It sounds like fake. Yeah. You know, it's just so yeah. fucking perfect. Yeah, and using, you know, like a traditionally classical kind of instrument in a jazz mm-hmm. way. There was a who's a woman, Dorothy Ashby. Yes, I've heard a few of her tracks. Yeah. She's really good. But, you know, jazz harp is not a extremely common instrument. <laughs> but yeah, Alice is just like, you know, it's kind of amazing that, like, you know, these two just musical geniuses were married at one point, you know, before he passed. Yeah. Like, what an incredible amount of talent. Um, 
And I think she probably pushed him in directions too, as much as he pushed her in directions. You know, mm-hmm. I think as he kind of grew out of like bop and more traditional forms of jazz, I think that was a lot to do with her influence. Right. Yeah. And this is like, if I listen to more Coltrane, it'll be like I'll be listening for this kind of like textural, you know, flow. Right. In what he did to see like. How did they play off each other, you know? This yeah. And John Coltrane, couple was of through, he's like Miles, where he has a lot of distinct phases as well. So, like, Ascension is not, like, the bulk of his work by any stretch. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, this okay. is, you know, this is, I think, this album is, to me is, like, the same with, you know, Creators and Master Plan is kind of a masterpiece to me. Is that um, the whole record is called Journey in Sachidananda? Yes. Yeah. I will be giving this um, one a listen. Yeah. Um, um, well, we should we should keep track, moving yeah. here. I mean, we got a lot of still got a lot of ground to cover, even though it's not that. It's easy all songs. it's all good, especially yes, this yeah. next track. Yeah, this one is kind of a personal pick. I'm not entirely sure this album. It's Wisdom Through Music, '73. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. It's not considered a bad album. I'm not sure it's considered a classic. Like I think I might have. This is just one that I somehow just landed on on Spotify once, and it kind of became a personal favorite. I don't know if yes. this is necessarily considered one of his his great works. Um, we are kind of skewing a couple albums that are probably or a few albums that are but how hot, if you're gonna regarded. try and boil down a whole person <laughs> yeah it's really tough it's tough and this this just like this album and this song in particular just became a personal favorite of mine i think it just puts me in a good headspace i like to listen to this album in the morning like when i'm kind of you know loading the dishwasher and getting ready for the day kind of stuff um i just feel like it's it's kind of dancey it's kind of joyous um yeah, it's good morning music, you know? Yeah, yeah. This love is, is everywhere on wis- off wisdom through music. And uh, this is, once again, Cecil McBee with a simple yet indelible bass part. God, it's it's like I was saying about the, like, tantric mantra, like, repetition uh, from The Creator Has a Master Plan. Like, they do that in over the course of this five minutes of this track with, with those... Um, are those like dueling basses? What what is what is? Yeah, happening I don't know. Those? It's like because it sounds like a harmony thing. Yeah, the it's only, definitely not my just only one thought is he yeah. fast enough to do like a like a kind of a two note like one five or a fourth if, if chord. Someone, oh my god! You know what I mean? That would blow I, my mind. Let me look it up because now I'm. This one, it's funny you should say Spotify like presented this to you because this one appeared. In my Spotify, like Discover, I'm not a huge jazz hit or anything, but just the like various funk and R&B that I listen to must have put this in my orbit through my Discover Weekly back in like June, July, 2021. And I was like, "Who is this Pharaoh Sanders guy? And why do they spell it with an O first? <laughs> and th- and this was like my my entry point actually into Pharaoh Sanders was was this very song. Oh, nice, yeah. I believe this is Pharaoh himself on vocals now. Yeah, it's weird. Cecil McBee is the only bassist credited. It does sound like a it does sound like a harmony note, and this, yeah. it definitely doesn't sound like an album where there was like this sounds like a live session. It doesn't sound like there's overdubs to me. Maybe there's Unless, a pedal or something. Maybe like he had oh, some technological like, help, but, but that's yeah, a fucking. But it sounds like it's a stand up. So is he? Yeah. There was some kind of primitive, like outboard chorus pedal type technology that he was running it through. Mm-hmm. Unless he can actually like play a riff on two strings. 
you know, if that's a if that interval is like a fourth or something. But I'm he, just he kind of do it. Like, I don't know. I mean, like the, the you know, these guys are like real musicians and shit. Yeah, so it's yeah. not impossible. Yeah, I'm comparing it to like how it would feel for me to try this, and that's like yeah. that's that's nothing. <laughs> that's yeah, like how yeah, it feels yeah. to drive my Honda Fit versus being Verstappen in the F1 Grand Prix yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. the fuck, you know. No, this one's just like another one that feels like this is the community and spirituality of music can come through in this in this song for me. Uh, it's, yeah. It's beautiful. It really like. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's a perfect flavor of yours because it's an earworm alone, uh, and it makes for great, yeah. just like considering your place in the universe kind of music. And this maybe borders on another kind of ill-defined one of soul jazz, which was mm-hmm. another thing that was going on, like Donald Byrd, people like that. Um, yeah, this is just like a, just a really beautiful song to me, and um, it puts me in a good headspace. I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's, gee, I'm I'm not gonna like keep like banging the same drum, but like the fact that it's such a simple two chord progression, the fact that it's got these like really ear tickling harmonies to to it alone, and then to hear something as simple repeated as "Love is everywhere," and it's like, yeah, that's that's a platitude. That's like, a, you know, a little bon mot that everybody fucking like you can anybody could say that and it would mean nothing. But just the pairing of that and the evolution of the sound as it goes on, um, just, man, again, it opens up something. It's, I, I guess the longer a jazz piece goes on with like repetition, the more I feel like maybe I don't understand it, but I get it if those are two different things, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it, yeah. And I mean, I think there's foundations of like dance music, electronic music, even mm-hmm. though this isn't done with electronics, like the sort of permutations and... and variations and kind of mutations of a groove but like with a steady pulse the whole time you know i think that kind of emulates things that the way electronic dj or producer kind of builds tracks up and kind of breaks them down and like introduces little simple rhythmic variations or melodic variations into a track um i think structurally you can hear some of that even though this is very like obviously human music and and played by a live ensemble Mm mm-hmm um, but yeah, this is a great song. I love this song. This is a great it's song. Like, we listened to most of it. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess we, we just promised to it. skip through these, but uh, well, this, that one's one a, gets the this whole was play. a shorter one for sure. It is. This is like a pop one, you know. This, you know, um, I was, was going to make fun, but it's like the second shortest track of the seven we've picked for this night. Yeah. It is actually one of the shortest. Yeah, and the next one we're going to move the, you know, the next phase of his career starting in the late seventies through the eighties. Like he definitely. I don't know if it's a period of retrenchment. I think he was probably doing what he wanted to do, but like he definitely went back to more kind of slicker, like traditional type stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It still had his, I think kind of stamp on it. Um, So I think people have mixed opinions about his eighties output. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's some cool stuff in there. Uh, I don't certainly not an era of his that I've gotten too deep into, Um, you know, like miles kind of did that. I think, you know, I think there might've been some thought to like making money. You know, <laughs> for some of these guys at a certain point at midlife kind of Finally, thing. Finally, yeah. Uh, you know, um, this one, uh, and he'd done some stuff starting in the 80s with this guy. This guy named Bill Laswell. Um, he's kind of just an ultimate New York kind of hipster guy. He's 
gone from like rock music to like avant-garde music, some hip hop, electronic, hmm. reggae stuff. He done like dub records of Sly and Robbie. Um, I have sort of mixed feelings about Laswell in general. Uh, hmm. This is off message from home in 96. This is um where he kind of, uh, there was always a great, you know, aspect of African music, I think in, in obviously the roots of it and jazz in general, but with, um, with uh, Pharaoh in particular, uh, this album I think is, is a really nice one that kind of, um, he even has some little hip hop kind of touches on this one, but uh, mm-hmm. this is a song called Kumba. This is uh, influenced by Gambian music. There's a, a player, uh, Fode Musa Suso playing uh, a Kora, hmm. which is sort of, it almost looks like a heart meets a banjo or something <laughs> like that. I looked at a picture of it. I never heard of it. Uh-huh. Uh on Wikipedia today. Um, this has another a notable player, Hamid Drake on drums, who played with like Don Cherry, uh, Archie Shep, William Parker, some kind of famous kind of out there and, and free jazz guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one I think is really cool because it's got this sort of like more traditional kind of African folk background to it. And the way he kind of like plays within that I think is really cool. All right. Here is Kumba by Pharaoh Sanders from Message from Home. Oh, that would make a sick sample. Yeah, I'm sure that he's been sampled many times. And you can even hear sort of some parallels to even some of that desert blues stuff, you know, like Madhu Mokhtar and... Ooh, boy. Tanarawin and stuff. Those are obviously different scenes. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're um, speaking my language. That kind of twisty kind of aspect to, like, I think African string instruments is kind of amazing. And that's, that's also pretty modal, you know? Like yeah. The, the kind of, kinds of intervals you get to play with there that have a very distinct cultural flair, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the way Hamid Drake comes here on the drums is very almost kind of like... And that Almost bass. a hip-hop kind of beat in a Ooh. way. You know, like, he, he just comes in with this perfect rhythm for this yeah this is the one that reminds me of uh hiroto the the group or the band that, yeah the, the artist that big uh, time. yeah Bijan brought to us yeah especially some of that um taiko stuff that was yeah, on there yeah, yeah man that was a good record i gotta go back to that response stuff which is very cool mm-hmm. um, I guess in the interest of kind of we still got one to get to here when well, we move to four minutes this is where uh, Pharaoh okay. comes in on a solo um, and I think it's really cool to hear how he interacts with a, this backing which is very different than anything that he, we've heard him interact with before as a player okay here it is at four minutes 
God, it's beautiful. Yeah. The control. And the way he kind of does that trilling that kind of like, yeah. um, uh, emulates that kind of, you, you, whatever, ululating or whatever of like some African singing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't even paste that together, but. You know, you've totally. heard that kind of, like, usually female singers. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do it on the podcast, man. No, You're no, not no, going to no, cancel no, me no, like that. Nobody, but, uh, <laughs> no, buddy, no, we're not doing that. But, but you know no. what I'm saying. You've heard Yes, it, yes, yes. You know, I, I know it. what you mean. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that, but totally. Like, it's interesting to see how he can interpret, yeah. you know, making a song that's influenced by African rhythms and songwriting structures and then use his saxophone in the same way that somebody in those types of music might use their voice. That's, yeah, that's, that is some spiritual shit. And this is interesting too, because like, you know, like love is everywhere had a pretty good you know steady pulse but like this is the first thing we've heard him play where it's like this is like a backbeat you know what i mean this isn't yeah. like there's no elasticity to the rhythm here at all it's this is like you know him and drake's like he's on a you know he's in a pocket yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. which exactly. is kind of an interesting because everything else we've heard there's you know certain elastic quality to the timekeeping you know yes but this is like this is, you could put on a click track to this you know like yeah no dragging here. This is good shit. We are coming yeah. up nearly on the end. We've got about yeah, 60 yeah. seconds left uh, and one track. Should we get anywhere else in here before we jump to... Uh, no, I mean, f- this, this song is kind of, you know, it's, it's sort of a... It's got a fairly repetitive thing as a lot yeah. of this does. Um, but I, I, I found this to be kind of a great standout album from the great pick, mid-late yeah. period, I guess. I feel like this is not where I would have uh, listened to if I would listened to more Farrah Sanders than I already had. I feel like I would not have gone to his 90s work, just assuming that most artists did not do their best work in the 90s if they were starting in the 50s and 60s. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's a I, presumption of mine. Uh, it's well, unfair. The other thing, like, a lot of these guys have just done so many records, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So... Um, but yeah, we'll move on to this one. Uh, it was actually kind of an amazing little phenomenon last year in 2021. Uh, this album got a lot of attention. It's called Promises. We mentioned it earlier. Collaboration between Floating Points, um, a guy named Sam Shepard, uh, who's a DJ, an electronic music producer, uh, the London Symphony Orchestra, and Pharaoh. Um, one thing that I find fascinating about this, and I think it's a real testament to who he was, is that... Um, I had assumed, and maybe this is just, you know, ageism or whatever. I assumed that Floating Points was kind of the one that said like, oh, I want to do something with Fair. Let's, you know, let's do an album where you're going to be yeah, relevant yeah. again and stuff. It actually, like, Sanders became of aware of Floating Points work in 2015 and was impressed mm. by his debut album. He was the one that actually found and approached Shepard. Um, and they've sort of formed a, oh, wow. a relationship. And then, and, and Pharaoh was the one that actually wanted to do a collaboration album and kind of, you That's know, sick. put that, you know, convinced, you know, floating points. I'm not that it, I'm sure it didn't take a lot of arm twisting, obviously. Right. Uh, but so at that age, I think in 2015, he would have been like about 74, 75. You know what I mean? To like yes, a man no. of that age to be like, That's so hip. Like, you know what I mean? Like, open to new things, still actively exploring music, hearing things that he loves in, in people that come from a completely different musical tradition, a different country. He's from the UK. Um, I don't know. That's pretty wild. You know, that's, that's, that's his adventurousness, uh, adventuresomeness uh, towards music to, to still be there at that age. A lot Mm -hmm. of people tend to kind of, as they get older, become 
you know, kind of less open to things. Right. More entrenched. Um, and that is, that is really cool. That's really, yeah. I didn't know that that was how it uh, came up because this guy was 35 when Ferris Sanders was 75 and it's that gigantic difference. He can recognize like the next, maybe not the next generation, but like a sound in the youth, in the younger people in like the yeah. present that he's not can, even a jazz artist. I mean, he wasn't a jazz yeah. artist at all. Yeah. Um, and this, this, you know, is definitely, um, I mean, I think anything that Ferris does is jazz by nature just because of who he is. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, it's probably the least jazz of anything we'll hear. There was sort of a movement called third stream music in the fifties. Hmm. And that was sort of some people that had, uh, so they basically had ambitions of kind of combining classical composition and, and jazz. Mm-hmm. It was very like kind of eggheady stuff. Some of it's pretty cool. Some of <laughs> it can be a little bit like, uh, you know, it was almost the first wave of people that sort of were being like integrated into academia hmm. in jazz. And so like, I can hear some of that in this. Um, but uh, overall, this album has is a series of movements. Um, it's kind of one mood, you know, like it, it's sort of, there's this, um, this one kind of musical motif that, that replays through it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Reminds me a little bit in that way of Steve Reich music for 18 musicians, um, uh, you know, kind of a, mo- a modern composer. Um, but yeah, I think this is like treads the line between, you know, Pharaoh's jazz and maybe more of sort of a, a modern, like, you know, minimal, Mm-hmm. classical thing um but I, this this album just it's one i sometimes just put on when i'm working it has a very kind of dreamlike serene quality to it yeah yeah i read um, i read that this is like this record was released as one single piece of music like contiguous right and they broke it up for streaming like so we can listen to a four and a half minute track versus a 42 minute album yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. i'm I think on like the the vinyl and cd it might just be one thing, one big thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what you thought of this, Jason. This is this is beautiful. I really want this to be the the way we, we, that we go out. It is, um, I don't know, it's comforting, reassuring. It's a wonderful bookend. I mean, literally, it was the last thing that Ferris Sanders released, right? Because yeah, he was eighty when this then, came out. Um, then he passed this year. So yeah, like, I mean, talk about a, a you know, you'd probably have to go to like Bowie to have somebody that went out at a higher point. You know, yeah, that's true. Uh, artistically. Um, and I mean, just to be doing it at the age of 80, doing something he'd really never done before. This made a ton of like, like best, you know, lists, all kinds of critics mm-hmm. list of best of the year. I think it was nominated for some, some prizes like in, in England and things. So it, it's a pretty impressive way. And I think that it, you know, if it was his last work, I think this, this taps into that. Like it almost feels at peace and serene in a way um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that maybe you know, you're always reading too much into these things because of like biography, but Mm. you know, maybe that this restless person, you know, creatively restless, he hadn't done an album in over 10 years. I think at this point either, um, you know, it it just feels like an appropriate thing to be someone's last work, you know, that it it, it may be, uh, at rest finally, you know? Um, so this, we can just let this one play. Honestly, I don't want to talk over it too much, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of music. I'm glad we do this, Jason. This is a really fun, uh, a fun and I think illuminating, you know, I, I knew his work, but you know, it's always one of the things I like about the show is it makes you kind of dig in a little deeper and mm-hmm. listen a little more carefully. Um, I think it's been really rewarding. I would encourage people to, you know, check out Alice Coltrane, John Coltrane, a number of the side men that I've mentioned on these projects have great solo catalogs as band mm-hmm. leaders and have played with many, many other great artists. So, you know, that's the one thing about jazz. You can kind of like, follow people, you know, a bass player as he goes through different bands and kind of, yeah, they're generally all pretty good. If it's that level of, of 
person working on the project. Um, and yeah, you know, just rest in peace to Pharaoh Sanders. I think, you know, uh, a really special musician, I think an icon of jazz and American music in general. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully you found something to, that resonates with you about this the way it does for us. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, keep in mind, uh, you can support us at, uh, patreon.com slash minmax, M-I-N-N-M-A-X. And, uh, this has been Crossfade. We'll see you around. Thank you.
Thank mm-hmm. you.